Hey, Scott Walker here. Uh, another edition of Freedom Fighters. Of all things, we're out at the Reagan Ranch Center with college students from all over the country. They've heard some spectacular speakers. Start out yesterday with uh, President Reagan's uh, son, probably the one son, Michael, who best personifies continuing the Reagan legacy. He's got another son, Ron. Um, God bless him, but uh, who's probably about as far removed from President Reagan as you can get. Um, his daughter Patty's kind of come back around a little bit, and Maureen, of course, the other uh, daughter of Jane Wyman and Ronald Reagan, who was Michael's sister, uh, passed away from her bout with cancer years ago. But Michael Reagan kicked things off, and uh, today we're filled back. Larry Elder uh, is with us on Saturday uh, because uh, because of the fires. Uh, the students aren't able to go up to the ranch, which is disappointing because I just realized uh, Jessica Jensen, who's our chief of staff at Young America's Foundation, uh, over the last couple of days showed Tonette and I a picture from 10 years ago this weekend uh, where Tonette and I joined Sean and Rachel Duffy up at the Reagan Ranch and at the Reagan Ranch Center as part of the same program we're participating in this weekend. Hard to believe it was a decade ago. In fact, a couple of staff, uh, one staff in particular, uh, Raj Kanapam, uh, who heads up our Center for Entrepreneurship and Free Enterprise, actually told me he was a student at that conference. So <clears throat> I don't exactly feel like a young American when I hear uh, things like that, but I'm glad and inspired to be around a bunch of them. One of the speakers we've heard from on this uh, on this trip uh, is a friend of mine, Larry O'Connor, who's a talk show host. Uh, he actually has heard from one end of the coast to the other. Um, always fun to be around. He does events for us in Virginia and in uh, California here at the Reagan Ranch. But he was talking about a series of things, but he reminded me, you know, last week we were traveling and didn't have a chance to comment on Glenn Youngkin's amazing win. Not just Glenn's win, but Winsome's win, Jason's win, uh, a sweep of the, the the necessary, or not a sweep, but a, a change in terms of the necessary seats uh, to flip the House of Delegates from being controlled by Democrats to Republicans in the Commonwealth of Virginia. What that means, not just for Virginians, but what it means for the entire country. So I thought I'd share a couple comments about that, give a few other insights, a little bit of a grab bag on this podcast, but a lot of different things going on. Uh, first off, in Virginia, the obvious thing, uh, the, the, the takeaway I took that night when I was doing Newsmax uh, TV coverage in New York City until, well, it was about midnight uh, by the time we finally signed off. Uh, I said the big takeaway for me was don't piss off parents. Um, and, and not only for the obvious reasons, a lot of people think that uh, CRT, critical race theory, as I call it, government-sanctioned racism, was the driving force in that campaign. And it certainly had a major impact. Uh, but as Larry pointed out uh, the other day with us as well, remember, this all started uh, well before the campaign really took off for Glenn Youngkin. This all started earlier last year when parents were just ticked off that their kids couldn't go back to school. Remember Fairfax County? The stories came out earlier this year when teachers and administrators jumped the line in front of, in fact, they got their shots before my own mother, who's a cancer survivor in her 80s, was able to get a shot. They jumped the line right up there with first responders, nurses, healthcare professionals, and others uh, were able, for obvious reasons, they're on the front line uh, of the fight against the pandemic at the time. But why in the world would teachers and administrators jump to the front in places like Fairfax County and then not go back to school? I think that probably as much as anything started the outrage that parents had, particularly amongst blue-collar households. 
Um, I, I think that's a growing story, not just in Virginia, but across the nation. My my brother is a assistant manager for um, Quick Trip, which is a convenience store chain in the Midwest. My sister-in-law, his wife, Maria, sells appliances for Home Depot. They are kind of this typical all-American working family where they didn't get the option to stay at home. They didn't get to Zoom in to work or they didn't get paid. They actually had to show up other than maybe those first 15 days to slow the curve. From that point forward, they and millions of other Americans in Wisconsin, in Virginia, and across the country actually had to show up for work. And so for those like my brother and and my sister-in-law who have children in school, granted, thankfully, in their case, my nieces are older. They're 17 and 14. But my goodness, if you had younger kids, a lot of Americans say, what do we do? Where do we send our kids? Can't send a grandma and grandpa. Because if uh, if you're in a household like ours, where my father's deceased, my mother is a cancer survivor in her 80s, eventually got out and was able to do things, particularly after she got the COVID shot. But before then, certainly no one in the family was going to risk her health, considering she would be one of the most vulnerable out there. So where did families send their kids when the schools weren't open, but they still had to go back to work. I think that was the beginning of the parental revolt uh, in Virginia as they realized, hey, these administrators, these teacher union bosses, these people who don't want to come to work, um, I, I often said at the time when this first was brewing up, you're not an essential worker if you can't show up when it's essential. Uh, certainly the people who were essential, fire, police, medical professionals, they did. They were on the front lines. God bless them and thank them every single day for doing that. Uh, but these union officials who tried to equate teachers in the same phrase as these other essential workers when they really weren't even showing up. And I would say more broadly, not just the obvious ones, the the truck drivers, the stockers at the grocery store, the people who were showing up and were essential to the supply chain. Uh, certainly, I'm glad that they were able to get access to the shot because they actually showed up for work. I think that was the beginning of the brewing of what we saw. Um, and it was people who said, you know, I don't care Republican or Democrat. I just want to get back to life. I just want to get back to my family and having some sense of, of uh, stability here. It continued uh, not only with critical race theory and the outrage that really, as you think about this, this, this goes against everything we were taught. Uh, I, I think back to my parents and my grandparents and all that they went through, and particularly my grandparents, how outraged they would be to think of the things they passed on to my, particularly my mother's uh, parents, my, my nana and my bop, as I called them, um, all the things they went through, particularly in the 40s and 50s and 60s, to teach their daughter and others in our family about the importance of seeing past someone's race, past their ethnicity, to understand that we're all created in the image of God, no matter how we might look on earth, and to think about what they're teaching these young people, uh, even as early as elementary school, that somehow there's something wrong with them because of their race. I think this is an issue that transcends politics, that you don't have to be a Republican or even a conservative to be disturbed by hearing about this. And for all the talk about how it doesn't happen, it's not being taught, um, even if there's not a direct class, if it's all about the language, if it's all about the mindset, if it's incorporated in almost everything they're doing in the schools, then it is an issue. And understandably, parents want to have a say. But again, it wasn't just CRT. I, I think the so often, so many in the, the left-wing mass media don't get this right. They, they think, 
as I saw the day after the election, some of the most outrageous comments were suggesting that, you know, this was, uh, you know, blowing the dog whistle uh, on race, which I thought was interesting, particularly in Virginia, since uh, they elected the first African-American woman to a statewide office. Uh, They elected the first Cuban-American to be the attorney general. And oh, by the way, uh, the guy that was replaced as governor uh, was a guy, uh, a Democrat, who can't really, to this day, acknowledge whether he was the guy in his yearbook picture that was blessed in black, dressed in blackface or dressed in a Ku Klux Klan outfit. Really, who are the ones that have problems with race? It's, it's far too many on the left and, and many more of their followers in the mass media. Um, I think people can see through that. It is a good reminder, and uh, we were talking about this as, as well with, with our students. There's an exhibit on the third floor at the Reagan Rand Center that, that's a wonderful reminder. I saw it a decade ago for the very first time this weekend, it certainly helped me out when I was going through the, the this period of time in between uh, the occupation of our state capitol when there was about 100,000 uh, people in and around our capitol and Capitol Square, and then the recall election the following June. It was a great reminder being here at the center. It was a brand new exhibit at the time, but it was all these clips, Peter Jennings, Tom Brokaw, plus a whole array of old-time politicians, uh, Ted Kennedy, Joe Biden, John Kerry, names from the past as well as the present, who were attacking President Reagan. And uh, it's a a constant reminder that you just need to do the right thing. No matter what you do, if you're a Republican, if you're a conservative, if you stand up on principle, they're going to call you racist. They're going to call you sexist. They're going to call you transphobic these days. They're going to call you Neanderthal. Uh, But in the end, I think as long as you talk about what you're for, don't respond in kind. Don't come up with our own wild and crazy and outrageous names to call our opponents but rather just talk about what's important. I think that was the, the winning recipe for Glenn, for Winsome, for Jason, for those others who won in the House of Delegates and will be in 2022, is people talking about what really matters to everyday Americans. Uh, things like having control over their education. Certainly, uh, Terry McAuliffe, as certainly didn't surprise any of us who know that Terry will say just about anything uh, to get elected or to help his cause along the way. So watching him fall apart in this Virginia governor's race uh, was not surprising. But it was so much bigger than just that statement on September 29th when he basically said that parents shouldn't be involved in their kids' college or their kids' education. Uh, I, I think again, most parents looked at that. It was an obvious caption to be put on TV over and over again in TV ads. It helped drive the point home, but I think they were already concerned about that before then. As I mentioned, not just the school closing, schools finally get open. They start saying, do you have to have a, a mandate to wear a mask? Do you have to mandate whether you got the COVID shot or not? Well, a lot of parents just said, hey, I want people to just trust me. I know what's best for my son or my daughter. I know what's best for my children. Let me make the right decision. It's something I've been saying for the last year, I think will dramatically increase the opportunities uh, for parental choice options across the country because parents have suddenly started to get this. Hey, I want to be in charge. If I want to send my kid to a school that's open and in person, I should have the option to do that, whether it's a government-run school, it's a private school, uh, it's a parochial school, uh, or it's a homeschool environment. I should be able to make that choice. Um, I should be able to choice whether I want my kid to go to a school that requires you wear a mask or doesn't require it. Those are things that are just, I think, increasingly going to be uh, part of the, the discussion and debate going forward in these elections, particularly in 2022 at the state level. And I think it's, it goes beyond just CRT. 
one of the few bright spots of what we've seen during COVID is that parents have been able to watch online in real time what their kids were being taught or not taught in many cases uh, in their schools. And they're kind of confused thinking like, what is all this nonsense? Why aren't my kids being taught how to read and how to do uh, mathematics and how to do basic science? And why aren't they getting a good understanding of social studies? You know, for all the critique from the left about CRT and the 1619 Project and all the other things, I've yet to hear of a true conservative say that people shouldn't learn about slavery. I've said repeatedly, as many others have on the right, we should learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly, but not just about the ugly out of context. Um, When we people are teaching our young people to hate America, there's something inherently wrong about that. I got to tell you, I, I heard it again this weekend from students we run into, whether they're high school or college students, college conference this past August in Houston. I heard from a young man who'd come from Venezuela. I'd heard it from another who'd come from the continent of Africa, both of whom love America, both of whom on their own, uh, by uh, chiming in the social media, learned about not only what Young America's Foundation does, but what it means to be a conservative. And they can't believe that there are people here in America that were born here and raised here who in any way could somehow think anything short of, of believing that America is the most incredible place in the world to live in. It's why people literally risk their lives to come to the United States. One of the big takeaways we should take from the the crisis, and it is a crisis at our southern border. We need to fix that. We need to stop that. We need to secure our borders. We need to have a a legitimate legal way for people to come into the country and and stop this mass exodus uh, from uh, from Mexico and surrounding countries into the United States without us knowing who or what is going on there. But, But having said all that, one of the big takeaways that I think is missed every time we talk about the border crisis is People are risking their lives and the lives of their children to come to the United States. You wouldn't send, particularly if you're someone who's a person of color, uh, if you're Hispanic, if you're black, if you're Asian, why would you risk sending your children to a country that's so god-awful, according to the woke generation out there? Well, they know something our woke students don't know, and sadly some of our neighbors who bought into this woke agenda, and that is America is amazing. It is an amazing place. Now, do we have problems? Absolutely. But more often than not, the answer is not more government. It's providing more freedom, the freedom that God gave us, endowed by our Creator, defined by our Constitution, and something we should be constantly fighting to put back in the hands of the American people. Uh, That's a powerful message, and I think that more than anything is what, what drove what happened in Virginia. It wasn't just the parents' revolt on one particular issue. Uh, I think in particular, uh, more than even CRT, it was what happened or alleged to have happened in Loudoun County, uh, where you had a classic example of, it appears to be, those so bought into the woke transgender agenda that they completely ignored the obvious signs uh, and then information about a sexual assault against one of the female students because they didn't want to undermine their their woke agenda promoting a transgender lifestyle when the very clear facts were if they'd taken action in the first place, they probably would have saved at least one, if not more, female students from having to go through that same experience later. That is completely outrageous. And again, it's something that transcends politics. I got to believe there are plenty of parents who looked at what happened with that school board, with the cover-up, with the lies, with the lack of respect for the public safety of those female students at that school district and said, I don't care about party. 
I just want people. It's why people who dismiss this as just Terry McAuliffe making a horrible slip ignore the fact that this is a big issue in the attorney general's race as well. Uh, We had an incumbent Democrat attorney general who really didn't do anything to take on this case, who probably as much as the governor should have been involved in in stepping in and ensuring uh, the public safety of those female students. He dropped the ball. And that's why you have, for the first time ever, a Cuban-American Republican uh, in offices, uh, will be coming in office uh, there in the, the Commonwealth of Virginia. So a lot of interesting things going on these days. Just thought it was helpful to give some insights. A couple other quick thoughts uh, before uh, we close for today. One is in Kenosha. Obviously, that's in my backyard. I raised my family in Wauwatosa, which is just down the way from Kenosha. Uh, I was uh, in-state repeatedly warning last year when this was happening, when people like CNN were claiming that it was a fiery but mostly peaceful protest. Uh, Honest to God, when I saw that headline, I literally thought it was the Babylon Bee. I just thought it could not be more ridiculous. In fact, they actually did a similar caricature days before that, and it wasn't as ridiculous as what we actually saw on CNN that night. I remember a couple days later being on Anderson Cooper going back and forth at that. And at one point, for whatever reason, our phone jammed. And I think he thought I somehow clicked him off. Uh, But the reality is I'd come back on any time, any day to debate that issue. The people who live in Kenosha know what happened. Uh, There was an absolute riot there. The irony is just the other day, the current Democrat governor of the state of Wisconsin, Tony Evers, who's really just not up for the job. He's very much like Joe Biden. He campaigned the same way. He hid undercover. He's continued to be largely undercover the past two years, two and a half years, much like Joe Biden. Very little attention, hoping nobody draws attention to the lack of leadership, the lack of action. He's just not up for the job. But a year ago at this time, and this is just basic. This isn't partisan. I've seen governors... Uh, be good at this regardless of party. I've seen governors be really bad at this regardless of party. Uh, Although, sadly, all too often it's weak-kneed left-wing liberals who are typically pretty bad at it. Tony Evers is the classic example of this. In fact, the Kenosha Times, a newspaper that historically has endorsed Democrats, particularly in statewide offices and occasionally at the local and regional level as well, so there's no conservative bastion, actually wrote an editorial after the tragedy uh, that occurred in Kenosha last year at this time. At the end of that week, they wrote an editorial ripping Governor Evers and basically saying he all but poured fuel on the flames that were burning in Kenosha by his lack of action. For three days, the city burned. The downtown, literally the buildings burnt while the BLM rioters uh, took to the streets uh, without an ability for local officials to get it under control. Had he called in the National Guard, and many of us said he should have much sooner, it wasn't until Trump offered his assistance until, sadly, multiple people were dead before he took action. Just this week, he announced uh, the other day that he was mobilizing 500 members of the Wisconsin National Guard, and, and hopefully that will prevent whatever might happen again Uh, by whatever the outcome might be in the trial in Kenosha County. But the bottom line is, if he had actually called, excuse me, if he had actually called members of the Wisconsin National Guard out a year ago, at the beginning when things first broke out, and people said, oh, that's hindsight's 2020. No, I know. There was a similar situation years earlier in the city of Milwaukee near Sherman Park, where there was a a shooting of an African-American individual, Interesting enough, in this case, the police officer also happened to be black, 
later he was dismissed for reasons unrelated to that case. Uh, but the bottom line was uh, things started out very fiery. There were protests. It could have very quickly and easily been exactly like what happened in Kenosha. Uh, after the first day, we reached out to Sheriff David Clark and to other local officials and uh, per working with them said, we're bringing in the Wisconsin National Guard. Uh, thankfully, things got under control once the word got out. We also worked with some of the local pastors in the area uh, to try and get them out in the streets and make the case be known that we didn't want to put the National Guard on the street. We didn't want to take total command there if we didn't have to, but that we were prepared to. Uh, they were a few blocks away, staged to make sure that things didn't get out of control and things stayed safe. You know, it's kind of like Reagan said, peace through strength. People know that in this case, there's members of the National Guard ready to take to the streets if things are going to be out of control, if local law enforcement is being overwhelmed, that there are forces there to be able to prepare to respond to that. You could have avoided this whole thing in the first place. There wouldn't be a trial in Kenosha County if Tony Evers had just done his job year, a year ago and called out the National Guard and got things under control. Instead, as the local paper said, it was almost as if his comments talking in a very risky way. I always said in each of these cases, whether it was in Kenosha, whether it's been in Milwaukee or anywhere else, don't ever comment on a situation until you know all the facts. It's the whole reason why we have an independent review. I was proud to be the first governor in the country to sign a law that requires an independent review anytime there's an officer-involved death. That way it protects not only the potential victim, but it protects law enforcement in the cases overwhelmingly where they're just doing their job. And in those cases, having an independent review validates that and gives an outside uh, approval if they did the right thing. And if they didn't, it gives an outside review to be able to take action. Uh, but no public official, particularly the governor of any state, should be speaking about things before they even know uh, what the outcome was before they've even seen the tapes before someone does an independent review his comments only fueled what we saw in the city of kenosha and sadly people are dead uh, because they didn't stop the violence uh, that's the big takeaway from this week it's i'm not a legal expert so i'll leave that to those who are in terms of how the case is going to end up and what was right or wrong um, the bottom line is it didn't have to happen and we'd had effective leadership not only in our state house in Wisconsin, but if we'd had candidates like Joe Biden who weren't pouring fuel on the fire there and across the country, we would not have had to have the kind of summer and the fall that we had in 2020. Last thing I want to just say is in terms of Veterans Day, a big thank you to all the men and women who served. I, I, I got to tell you, I was just amazed. This woman seems to be so completely tone deaf, but Kamala Harris on Veterans Day, where was she at? She was at the Paris Peace Conference. And what did she do the day after? She laid a wreath uh, at the site of the Paris bombings in 2015. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with that part, but, but of all things, it just shows you exactly where their priorities are in the Biden-Harris administration. When the vice president of the United States, instead of being somewhere in American soil uh, talking to veterans or service members, thanking them and their families for their service to our country, is over talking about some woke political agenda uh, in a foreign land at that time. If anything, the people in France should be thanking us because not once but twice uh, we saved them. We talk about freedom this week. We talk about the ninth being the anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall, the 10th being the anniversary of the start of the United States Marine Corps on November 10th, 1775, and, of course, November 11th, the 11th day, 
ceremonies traditionally being the 11th hour, the 11th day, and the 11th month. We thank all those who've served, those men and women, both those who made the ultimate sacrifice and all those who came home and who served here and around the world. Um, it's amazing to me that she wasn't at a ceremony honoring her veterans, but instead uh, was hobnobbing with the, uh, the left-wing elite uh, in Paris way across the globe. But that tells you everything you need to know about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. In contrast, thankfully, I was able to join, as were many others, uh, a number of great Veterans Day ceremonies all throughout this past week. I thought about one in particular. I was back at uh, a school in Kenosha, ironically, called Christian Life School. Uh, the school there had invited me in 2015 and again in 2016. They put on this program everywhere. They've got a school that goes from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. And uh, the interesting thing uh, was they they thank, they invite all the veterans in the community. A couple of them actually come beyond just Kenosha. Two of them I knew um, from folks who, I grew up in Delavan, not too far from Kenosha. And two of them knew one of my neighbors who was a, get this, a World War I and a World War II veteran, a guy named Claire Condon. And so we talked a little bit about that. But I was particularly honored to be there because back in 2015 and then the following year again, uh, the woman who was the superintendent of the school, Susan Nelson, invited me to be there. She's just a wonderful, lovely woman. She just retired in 2018 after 30 years in education. She started out as a, uh, a Spanish teacher. She went on to be the dean of students and then retired as the superintendent. So three decades plus in education. But why I was particularly uh, glad to see her there the other day at the Veterans Day program I was honored to speak at was um, she's a Gold Star mother. And I got to tell you, there's there's very few people in the world, maybe the Medal of Honor recipients, uh, but but other than that, there's very few people in the world that have a softer spot for than a gold star parent. Uh, Mrs. Nelson lost her son in 2008. Uh, Marine Corporal Richard J. Nelson uh, was killed along with one other Marine from the same Fox Company based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. They were reservists in the Marine Corps. Uh, they were killed on April 14th in Iraq when an improvised roadside bomb went off. It, it was tragic just in that case, but even more so when you understand that this was uh, Ricky's second deployment. And the unit he was with, Fox Company, in total, uh, they were deployed initially in 2004-2005. His death was in 2008. Uh, between those two deployments, seven members of that unit died. Seven members of that unit were killed in action. And while it's important to know that Veterans Day is the day, an official national holiday that we honor all who've served. Memorial Day, even though some people think it's just a long weekend and a great way to kick off the summer, Memorial Day is the day that we honor the dead. We honor those men and women who paid the ultimate sacrifice. But I think it's hard it's hard to thank all of our veterans on Veterans Day without thinking about people like Corporal Nelson. Because it wasn't just him. Certainly, we need to remember him and his family, all the Gold Star families across this nation. But also remember, particularly for those who were deployed, um, who came home even if they weren't injured, every one of them, overwhelmingly, uh, those men and women were, were willing to make that sacrifice. They were raised their hand, took the oath of office, were ready to defend the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And uh, just the mere fact 
that they were in a position where that might have happened. Thank God for so many men and women I know, so many of my friends who served our nation, they came home safely. But we know all too often, even if they didn't have physical injuries, uh, for those who've been deployed, there are all sorts of challenges and why we needed to continue not just to thank but support the men and women who wear the uniform of this nation, not just on Veterans Day, not just on the 4th of July, but 365 days of the year. Freedom, endowed by our Creator, defined by our Constitution, but defended each and every day by the men and women who proudly wear the uniform of these United States. Once again, we say thank you. Until next time, I'm Scott Walker. Thanks for joining us on Freedom Fighters. Keep fighting for freedom. <laughs>